Almighty God, hear our prayers this morning as we come before you with humble hearts. We lift up our prayers to you in full confidence that you will listen and act on the requests and petitions of our hearts. We praise you and give all honor and glory to you, our God and King, and we lift up your holy name above all others. May our prayers be a sweet sacrifice to you and be pleasing to your ears this day. We bring our joys and concerns to you at this time and lay them before you. Our prayers for those seated around us in this service as well as for those who could not be in worship with us today. We ask your blessings to be on the children and teachers who will be starting a new school year this week and pray that it will be a good year for everyone, a time of learning, fun, and growth. We pray also for the administrators and support people who are such a necessary part of the school districts and pray that they will all work together for the benefit of the students and families they serve. Lord, we ask that you hear our prayers today for Graham Brinkmeyer and Harper Wildman, who were in the hospital this week. We pray for the healing of these children and for their recovery to go well. We lift up their families who have been with them during this time and pray for rest and healing for all of them. We also lift up Linda Liston and Gary Hoggenberry and their families as they mourn the death of their mother, Margaret, who died this past week. We ask that your blessings of comfort and peace will surround them as they begin the journey of mourning her loss. And we also celebrate today with parents Jared and Andrea Christensen and grandparents Dan and Marilyn Sandoval as they welcome little Grace Elizabeth into their family and know that she will be a blessing to all of them. Lord, we lift up all these things to you this morning. Hear us as we pray together with you for our friends, our church family, and our community. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Peter, which we have been studying now for several weeks and which uh, Pastor Mike and Pastor Keith have been teaching in their their times with us. We're going to be reading today 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 19. So if you have a pew Bible or you've brought yours with you, you can refer to that or the words on the screen. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian... Do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. 
And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. May God add his blessing to these words. Let us be in prayer. Lord, you have given a powerful message to Keith to share with us this morning. We pray that our hearts will be open to receive it, that our ears will be ready to hear it, and that your Holy Spirit will fill our hearts with the words that he has to give us. So, Lord, we prepare for this time. We thank you for him and for the, the time and that he has put into this message and just pray for him as he comes forward to deliver it to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Did Vicki tell you where Mike is right now? He's out in San Francisco where it's two hours earlier. But that didn't stop him from sending us a text message at 6 a.m. our time. <clears throat> he sends his blessings and his, and his greetings. And then I think he went back to bed, I think he said, too. <laughs> so we're, we're, uh, we pray for him to have a good, a good uh, vacation. And, you know, we're getting ready to start school. We're getting ready to, to enter into this, that's, uh, you know, the fall busy time. Next week is going to be really, really special. Um, one of the things that's going to happen next Sunday is... We are going to basically roll out our new discipleship pathway that, that we were challenged. You guys remember the Healthy Church Initiative? We've talked about that for a few years. We're still working on that. And uh, a lot of work has gone into uh, our, our adult discipleship uh, department. And that's going to be rolled out to you next Sunday. And just get ready for God to continue to do amazing things around here. And, and it's going to be an awesome time. And, and I'm so excited about having Bill Stevens come and share with you guys this morning because the, the presentation that you'll, that you'll attend next, next week if you're able to come at 6 o'clock is pretty powerful. I went to uh, Davenport last Sunday night where uh, the, the team traveled there because we, we do this in, in cooperation with the Christ United Methodists in Davenport. So last Sunday we went to Davenport and they gave their presentation. Well, the next week the team from Davenport will be here as well. So there'll be some guests with us and... They look forward to sharing their experiences there. But just to see the folks from our church that went, I mean, it, it was a powerful, powerful uh, testimony to what God's doing. So thank you all so much for, for helping with that. And yes, there will be more trips. We'll probably have two next year and then at least two in the years to come. So, I mean, Haiti is going to be a part of our mission here uh, for, for quite some time. I really feel that God is, is blessing our efforts there and, and work is being done. Uh, last week, you remember Leandra Martin's, our summer ministry intern, she was here and she preached a message uh, from First Peter and she talked about these different myths. And, and if you weren't here last week and you haven't seen the show Mythbusters, it's this show where these two scientists go on and they, they test out in real life various myths that just exist in the world and determine whether they're real or whether they're actual myths. So I saw one where they were uh, trying to blow themselves up at a gas pump with the cell phone. You know those signs that say, don't use your cell phone while you're getting gas because for fear of explosion? I don't know if that's ever happened in the world, but I remember they were trying to ignite a spark with the cell phone, and I think it was busted. It never happened. But that Leandra had these three myths about what it means to follow God. 
And then, and then these myths were, were busted. And I want to tell you, that message, it, it had a tremendous impact uh, on some people in our church, especially my daughter. I got home uh, from, I think, Monday night, and she had her Bible open and papers everywhere. And she was with a friend. They were studying the Bible. And she said, Dad, I've got to talk to you, which usually means get your wallet out, you know. But it was, Dad, I've got to talk to you about, about what God spoke to me about in Leandra's message. And then her and her friend began to, to explain to me how they'd been wrestling with this decision that they were going to make this year with regard to what they were going to do in school and how they'd been going back and forth with it. But when Leandra got up and talked about how she chose to go to Africa on a mission trip her senior year spring break rather than Cancun, Mexico, her senior year spring break, it just ignited this fire in, in, in some of our teenagers to, to make some different choices with regard to how they were going to do things at school this year. And it got me thinking, it was so powerful how, you know, we make these choices that when we choose to follow God versus following the world's way, you know, oftentimes it leads to some, to some conflict, doesn't it? Oftentimes it leads to some suffering and maybe even some persecution. And, and that's what we're going to move into today in 1 Peter chapter 4, because there's another myth that I want to expose here after reading this text. And here's the, here's the myth that I want us to look at with regard to 1 Peter. <clears throat> and here's the myth. Following Jesus will take away all my problems and make my life easier. <clears throat> Anybody believe that myth? Now, you probably wouldn't admit it if you did, because you know I'm about to slap a big old busted sign up there on top of that slide. You can hit that right there. Watch this. Bam. <clears throat> that myth is busted. And it's, and it's busted because we look into history and we look into the scriptures to see what truly happens when people follow Jesus in a dark world that does not follow Jesus. And this is the audience of Peter. If you've been reading along with us in 1 Peter, you've seen some kind of issues that might, you know, we struggle with a little bit. Things like slavery and things like how we're to relate to one another in relationships and marriages and things like that. And some people really have a hard time with Peter's advice. But I want to remind you, the audience that Peter is writing to. He's writing to Christians who are in the midst of great and terrible persecution. So when you think about that, and you look at this myth that we oftentimes connect with the American dream, that following Jesus and being a good Christian is going to make your life go great and take away all your problems, it's easy to see that myth is busted. Now, why do we believe that way? Why do we believe that following Jesus is going to make everything easy and great? Well, probably because it's what we want to believe, isn't it? We want to believe, and here's why. We want to believe that we have some control over what happens to us, don't we? And here's how that comes into play. We believe deep in our hearts that if we do what God wants us to do and we're good Christians, that means God will bless us. And that means God will take away our problems and make everything go the way we want it to go and will answer our prayers. I know that we probably wouldn't say that at the surface, but deep in our hearts, there's this this core of us that still wants to remain in control. So we hold on to this idea. Now, I will say this, that is partly true. If we do what God wants us, as the choir led us this morning, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, to trust and obey, that leads to blessing. 
The question is, what kind of blessing? And it also, though, however, as we see from Peter's text here, it leads to suffering. It leads to persecution. So we need to bust that myth in our life and not put that expectation on our faith that if we follow God, everything is going to go great. Now, it's true that oftentimes following Jesus does get rid of a lot of problems, doesn't it? Because if you live your life and and you you strive to follow Christ and and, and you, you turn from your sin, you're going to avoid a lot of heartache, aren't you? You see, most of the pain that comes in our lives typically comes at the result of our own choices, doesn't it? I know most of the pain that I've experienced in my life up to this point has been the result of my own bad choices, my own sin. So I can't point to other people and say, oh, you've caused that for me. I only point to myself. And oftentimes, many of the, of the heartache in my life, those situations would have been uh, avoided if I would have simply trusted, obeyed, for there's no other way. So it's kind of this weird equation. You can look at it and you can say sin and disobedience will almost always lead to suffering and pain, but not all suffering and pain is the result of sin and disobedience. Because there are very holy people, even as we sit here in this comfortable air-conditioned sanctuary in a country where we're free to worship Jesus whenever we want, we sit here while our Christian brothers and sisters across the world are being brutalized and murdered and displaced because of their faith. And you could never look to them and say, well, that's because of their fault or their own sin. It is not. It is because of the evil in this world and because of the evil of those who are oppressing him. And that is the audience to those people that Peter was writing. And he he writes to them to, to give them three messages. And the messages are these. First and foremost, he says he's encouraging them to keep their dignity and uphold their faith. Like when he says to slaves, obey your masters. He's saying, do good. Uphold your faith in the midst of these horrible situations. He's not saying slavery is okay. He's saying to those of you that are in that harsh situation, keep your dignity about you. Keep your your faith. He's saying, secondly, to allow their suffering to serve as a witness to the world. Remember when he was writing to wives of, of unbelieving husbands. And he's saying to to a woman who lives with a man who does not believe in Christ, he says to that woman, he says, let your faith and your inward beauty and your love for Jesus serve as a witness to your unbelieving husband that without any words being spoken, you might win him to Christ by your reverent behavior. He's saying allow your suffering to serve as a witness to the world. He's saying that even you slaves that are being suffering under persecution, he says, look, let people look at the way that you endure and the faith that you have. And don't let anybody put you down because you've done wrong. Rather, let them see how you've endured. And wonder why. And that's why Peter says, always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. What is it that allows you to endure that unjust persecution, that unjust suffering with hope? What is that? You see, the world watches the way Christians suffer, don't they? The world pays attention to that. Do you remember a few years ago when, when 
that terrible event took place in Pennsylvania when a man uh, burst into a, an Amish school and murdered, I think it was six little girls. You remember the way that the Amish community responded to that? And you can, you can say what you want to say about the way the Amish people choose to, to live their life with regard to technology and all that kind of stuff, but make no mistake about it. When, when it was front page news, when that same Amish community who was, who was suffered and, 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 and greatly brutalized by that man came out and, and publicly said they offered forgiveness to him and they embraced his family. The world pays attention to how we suffer. And Peter knew that. So he writes to the church and says, look, keep your dignity, keep your faith recognize the world is watching you. And then thirdly, and I would say most importantly, because this enables the other two, is this. View all of their suffering through the lens of Christ's suffering. See, he says in verse 16, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. And in verse 13, rejoice and as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. See, all the suffering that we endure is nothing compared to the suffering of Christ. And He is our model. He is our example. And His suffering serves as a gateway to our blessing. And how did He suffer? He suffered well. He endured it. For the glory that was set before Him, the Scripture tells us, He endured the shame of the cross. And He's allowed our suffering to be united with His if indeed we choose to do so under the banner of Christ. So for us here today, the lessons are the same, but we must be aware that the lessons around the world are far greater. And I don't say that to make us feel guilty. I say that to strengthen us, to give us hope in whatever circumstances we might be in to understand that it is possible to suffer for doing well and to honor Christ in that. So taking apart this text, what are, the, what are the messages that we learn? Well, first he says this, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Expect it. Don't be surprised. Expect it. He says, don't be Surprised at the fiery ordeal. What does it mean to really look into that, to, to not be surprised? It means that we understand the choices we make in this world will lead. But look at what Jesus says in Matthew 10, or, or chapter 5, verse 10. He says that you are to rejoice because in those moments you are blessed. He says, blessed are those who've been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see, there's this constant thread in the Scripture and in the words of Jesus that points believers towards seeking blessing and reward, not in this world, but in the world to come. Because the two worlds in many ways are opposed to each other. And there often comes times of choice where you have to decide, where am I going to seek my blessing? Where am I going to seek my reward? Jesus says you're blessed when your reward is in heaven. 
He said there was a, a man who went out and found a great treasure buried in a field. And in his joy, he sold all he had to buy the field. There's a lot of parables where Jesus leads us to understand oftentimes as Christians, our life is about making choices. Where will we seek the blessing? Here or in the world to come? And following Jesus will oftentimes lead you to deny yourself in this world so that you can receive the rewards of the next. But how this plays out in your life and in my life directly relates to our level of dedication to God versus our level of dedication to this world. You know, the book of James says that friendship with the world means hatred toward God. And that's kind of hard to understand, isn't it? Because we also read where, where Jesus says, God so loved the world. So are we supposed to hate the world? Or are we supposed to love the world? Well, I put it to you this way. We love the people of this world. That's what God means when he says, God so loved the world. He means he loves the people of this world. But we hate the systems of this world, the spiritual darkness of this world. You see, John wrote in the first chapter of his gospel, speaking of Jesus, he said, the light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. And it's still true today, isn't it? You see, the, the, the problem in the world is that the bottom line, we love darkness more than we love light. Why is it that people burst into villages and kidnap women and children and murder them? Why is it that, that people attack one another and defraud one another? It's because we love darkness rather than light. Now, you and I live in a world where despite all of, all of this blessing that we have, there's still an era of darkness that surrounds our world. Still those choices that have to be made. Choices for you and choices for me. And this might show up in our relationships. It might show up in our marriages. It might show up in our, our finances. How we choose to deal with, with the resources that God has been given us. We always have to make a choice. So don't be surprised. Expect it. Expect that following Jesus is going to lead to some suffering. Expect that following Jesus will lead to persecution. Expect that following Jesus will lead to sacrifice. I ask you today, where in your life are you suffering because of your faith? Where in your life does the world hate you because you love Jesus? Where in your life have you endured the sufferings of Christ? If you can't think of anything, then what does that mean? Remember, Jesus said, don't be surprised the world hates you because they hated me first. Now, I will say this. There's a difference between suffering for Jesus and suffering because you're a jerk who just happens to be religious. Okay? I, I've met some people who, who are jerks that happen to be religious. And the jerk part of them kind of leads them into some insults or some suffering. And they want to say, well, that's because of the Jesus part of me. You know what, I mean? you know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> Make no mistake about it. There's part of, probably part of both in all of us. But, but we, can't, we can't allow you know, our own sin to, 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 to receive the blame for that. We suffer for Christ. And when we do so, we have blessings in heaven. So think about your own life. What choices have you made? What, in, in, what have you had to endure because of your faith? And as I said before, if you can't think of anything, then maybe it means... 
Maybe it means something. Maybe it means that there are choices yet still to be made to lead you into that path. The second thing that that we see from this text is this idea that judgment is coming. That judgment is coming. Now, I will tell you this. In civilized Western countries like the United States, when you talk to people about why they believe in God or don't believe in God, especially why they don't believe in God, for many people, these, the, the judgment part of God is a huge objection to, what, to people's faith, isn't it? A lot of people say, oh, I can't believe in a God who would judge anybody or would condemn anybody. I, I want to believe in a God that, that loves everybody and that forgives everybody and that there is no judgment. So the fact that there's, you know, scriptures that talk about God's judgment, uh, don't, I can't go there. Have you ever heard anybody raise that objection? I want to tell you something. It's a powerful objection. But make no mistake, that's a cultural objection. And what I mean by that is that is something unique to our culture. So what are you talking about? Did you know that in many parts of the world, when you talk about the judgment of God and God judging evil and sin, that is a comfort to people. Imagine the folks in Iraq right now who've had their relatives murdered, who've had their wives and children kidnapped and and made to be the wives of, of other men. Can you imagine going to a family who suffered that kind of evil and persecution and suffering and brutality and going to them and saying, hey, God is a God of judgment and God will judge evil and sin in the world. Do you think they're going to say, oh, I don't want that? No, for folks who've existed in that type of environment, that is a comfort That is a promise, not an objection. It's for those of us who live on easy street that the idea of judgment, that the idea that something might mess up our our perfect lives, that is the objection. Because we want to do whatever we want to do in in this culture and in this world, and we don't want anybody, especially God, to tell us what we can or can't do. It's a cultural objection. You want to know what the objection is in parts of the world where there's persecution and suffering like that and, and incredible poverty and starvation? The, the, the objection is this, that God is a God of grace and love and mercy. I know that might sound crazy to us. But it's an objection because people would say, how could God ever forgive someone who could be so capable of so much evil How could God do that? Where you and I say, oh, well, we don't want God to judge anybody. They say, we don't want God to forgive. That's where they struggle. That's the objection. So so for us, recognize this. The scriptures are clear. Judgment is coming. But it shouldn't serve as so much a fearful warning to us. Why? Because we have Jesus. But notice that Peter says that God's judgment begins with his own people, with his church. It begins with us begins with us. Despite our discomfort and fear, God will judge. And He starts with us. Does that scare you? If it does, you need to do one of two things. You either need to turn from your sin and trust Christ and follow God. Or, you need to let the grace of God bring you the assurance that you've been forgiven. See, the book of Romans, verses 1 of chapter 8, says, There is therefore now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, if His grace has been applied to your heart, then you need not fear the judgment of God. Because you've been declared righteous because of the righteousness of Christ. But if you are in rebellion toward God, if you persist in your sinful ways, if you reject the work and the grace of Jesus Christ, then you should fear the the judgment of God. Judgment is coming. Peter reminds us of that. And the third thing that we read from this text, and the final thing is writing to this persecuted church who's suffering greatly, says, commit yourself to your Creator and continue to do good. I think it's interesting that Peter refers to God here as Creator. Perhaps this is meant to remind these persecuted Christians that God has created them for His purpose and is sovereign over all, even over the evil that is being committed against his people and that he's promised to make all the wrongs of this world right in the next. You see, we can endure whatever happens to us because we have a creator that promises us a reward for our suffering. And he urges Christians to continue to do good. To do good in the face of suffering. So when you are persecuted, when you are ridiculed and made to suffer, don't allow those circumstances to overwhelm your faith. Don't allow the evil of others to stamp out the good that you can do. That's hard, isn't it, sometimes? Because when we suffer, when we're rejected, when we're ridiculed, when we're lied about, when we're passed over when we're made fun of, it hurts. And Jesus' message to us is keep at it. Continue to do good. Don't be afraid. Don't lose hope. Don't lose heart. Always with our minds fixed on the cross, fixed on Jesus who endured the shame and the scorn of the cross, who had all the power to smite every single person there that was inflicting the pain upon him. He could have, with a thought from his mind, struck them all dead in a moment. He could have ended all of his physical pain at any second, in any instant, with just a mere thought. He could have done that. But rather, he prayed, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. He is a model to us that whatever we must endure for the sake of Christ, it's worth it. It's worth it. Because the glory that was revealed from the cross is shared with those who participate in his sufferings. So, what does it look like for you to commit yourself to your Creator? What does it look like to commit yourself to to His blessings, not the blessings of this world, not to, to attaining everything you possibly can here and to having the easiest, most carefree life you can possibly create for yourself here? What does it look like for you to commit yourself to your Creator and to continue to do good? I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like a lot of what we see a lot. It looks like a lot of people who are willing 
to make choices, to go on mission trips, or to give financially, or to put their kids in confirmation, or to, to, to serve a fly lunch, or to come to 412, or to make a choice at work to, bri- to bring someone to Christ, or to invite a neighbor or friend to church, or to take time to pray for someone, or to go to that person who's lost and lonely and rejected and offer a, 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 a friendship to them. Or to find a person who, who's sick and, 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 and in need and meet that need. It looks a lot like the mission statement of what we're trying to do to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Because even though this world is a deep, dark place, we're not just going to sit on our hands and wait for Jesus to come back and rescue us. We're going we're gonna to do our best according to our, our, our Savior and King who, who taught us to pray saying, this let on earth as it is in heaven, that's our mission. To bring as much heaven to this earth in this dark world that rejects Christ. And that's what we're going to do. And we're going to continue in it. It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be fun. It's not always going to feel good, is it? But you want to know the reward that we have right now? Look around. We've got a family, a gospel family, that Lord willing take care of each other and be there to ease that suffering. You know, Jesus said, whoever would give a cup of water to one of my disciples will by no means, because of me, will by no means lose his reward. You don't have to be some great, you know, missionary that that dies in martyrdom to receive this reward. You can receive it right where you are. Because anything done for the cause of Christ unites with the suffering of Christ and unites with the glory of Christ. And that's our prayer. What does that look like for you? What does it look like for me? That's what we're trying to figure out together, amen? And that's what Peter's helping us do with God's help. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, Father, we are so blessed here. And God, we ask that you would forgive us, Lord, for maybe taking our blessings for granted when, when people around the world, God, right now are being brutalized. And Father, our prayer is that you would bring them strength, that you would reward them. Father, that you would protect them even. And Lord, allow us in our own worlds, Lord, to, to see the choices that each of us must make to choose you and to give us that strength to endure whatever whatever comes as a result of it. Always viewing that suffering through the lens of the suffering on the cross that you endured with you as our witness, with you as our example. Father, we pray for our church. We pray that you would help us in in fulfilling our purpose, Lord. We commit ourselves to you, our creator. Lord, you created this church. We didn't create it. And we commit ourselves, Lord, to you to continue to do good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a look at this. Really the thing that makes Marian Methodist most special to me is the people. It's all about the people. Um, Kirk and I moved here 16 years ago and um, didn't know anybody, didn't have any family or friends in the area. And so um, we visited this church and it really wasn't the building or even the Sunday school classes or even the way Pastor Stan played the piano that made us want to join here, but it was the people. Kirk and I give our gifts to Marion Methodist because um, 
it's so important to us and we want to ensure that others have the opportunity to experience the same feeling of family that we've always felt here. My name is Carol McNeil and these are the reasons I give to Marian Methodist. Will you please join me in worshiping God in this way?